0: news WTpN see that's
2: that's all legalist does they think only of their rights it's only about them and they will twist the word of God to make it look like being obedient but they're not
1: You may remember the old Peanuts cartoon where Lucy finds Charlie practicing his archery skills by shooting arrows and then drawing targets around them. She says, you don't do target practice that way. You draw the target and then shoot the arrow. Charlie Brown replied, I know that, but if you do it my way, you never miss. (laughs) Some people do that with the Bible. They interpret it to match their behavior rather than matching their behavior to what the Bible actually says. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. Our study leader is Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount as recorded in chapter five of Matthew's Gospel. In verse 38, Jesus said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Here's Pastor Steve now to continue the message he began on our last broadcast and show how the Pharisees had twisted what Moses commanded.
2: And so once again, As with all the other laws that we've looked at, the Pharisees were guilty of manipulating the law to fit their own sinful desires, their own sinful lifestyles. And they wanted vengeance and they got it because they pulled out of the Bible a biblical proof text to justify their vengeance. You know what? That's so typical of a legalist. This is so typical of a legalist back then. It's typical of a legalist today. A legalist will always find some way to justify his sin and try to look good in the process. Always find some way to excuse his sinfulness. And in the process of doing this, he'll he'll try to look spiritual. Because perish the thought he should look unspiritual. He wants to look good. And his attitude will be something like this. After all, I'm just obeying the Bible. Isn't this what the Bible says? I mean, doesn't the Bible say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? So you can't fault me for obeying God. Sure you can. Sure you can, because they're twisting the Bible. See, that's how how piety, false piety sounds. It's a false piety, but it's real hypocrisy, because that person isn't interested at all in obeying God. If they were interested, they'd know the truth. they just conveniently choose to ignore the truth. They just want revenge, and so they'll misrepresent God's word to get it. It's all about them. It's not about God at all. It's all about them. That's a legalist. It's all about their rights, their their self assertion. It's all about them. D. Martin Lloyd Jones explained the underlying sin of the Pharisees in twisting this law. Here's what he wrote in his commentary. He said, as far as the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes is concerned, their main trouble was that they tended to ignore entirely the fact that this teaching was for the judges only. They made it a matter for personal application. Not only that, they regarded it in their typical legalistic manner as a matter of right and duty to have an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. To them, it was something to be insisted upon rather than something which should be restrained. It was legalistic outlook which thought only of its rights. See, that's that's all legalists does. They think only of their rights. It's only about them. And they will twist the word of God to make it look like being obedient, but they're not. See the real sin behind the Pharisees' erroneous interpretation and misapplication of, of the law wasn't simply faulty hermeneutics, but rather selfish thinking that forced them to think only of their personal rights. They thought this law gave them the right to be angry, to hold a grudge, to even the score with anyone who inflicted some injustice upon them. And so when Jesus corrects this faulty view of the law, he really cuts to the very heart of the issue. It wasn't just that they misunderstood the law. But it was that they misunderstood the very spirit and heart of the law, which is about giving up your own personal rights, not doing what you might feel like doing. And so we move from the false view of the law of retaliation as taught by the scribes and Pharisees, now to the truth about this very law of retaliation as taught by the Old Testament and now confirmed by Jesus. And this gets very interesting. You're going to have to think with me. Verse 39 starts off by saying, But I say to you, now in contrast to the perversion of the Pharisees, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. In this brief statement, Jesus not only corrects, as I said, the Pharisees' faulty interpretation of this law, but he actually sums up the the divine intent of this law, the the truth behind the, the words. Instead of giving individuals the right to retaliate against someone as The rabbis taught, Jesus taught that the true uh, intent and meaning of this law is just the opposite, that no individual is ever to strike back in personal vengeance against someone who does evil to him. In other words, the law of retaliation took vengeance, as we said, out of the hands of individuals by placing justice into the hands of civil authorities. So that when Jesus says, do not resist an evil person, he means do not retaliate against an evil person. That's the thought. Don't resist him by retaliating against him. Now, at this point, we have to stop and we have to ask a major, major question that affects a lot in our lives. And it's this, how far do we take this non-resistance to evil? Do Christ's words, do not resist an evil person, mean that if someone attacks us or attacks our family, we're just to stand there and take it and not defend ourselves, not def- not protect our, our loved ones? Are Christ's words to be taken as an absolute prohibition against all use of force? So that Tolstoy was right. We ought to eliminate the police. We ought to eliminate the military, even our court system. Is Jesus teaching pacifism under all circumstances? The answer is no. That's not what he's saying. When Jesus said, do not resist him who is evil, he couldn't possibly have meant that we are never to resist evil. Couldn't possibly. And I'll tell you why. We know this because if that were true, it would contradict the rest of Scripture. And since God is the author of all Scripture, then His Word is consistent and in harmony with itself. The Bible teaches both by precept and by example that there are times when we must resist evil. For example, the Bible commands us to resist the devil. He's the epitome of evil. He's pure evil. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. First Peter says the same thing. The Bible also commands us to resist false teachers and their false teaching by contending for the faith. Jude verse 1 and many other places in the New Testament, especially 1 and and 2 Timothy, tell us to resist evil, the evil of false teachers. We're also told that we are to resist evil in the church by disciplining church members who, who continue in sin and refuse to repent of their sin. That's Matthew 18. Matthew said if you've gone through all the... Or Jesus said if you've gone through the whole process of confronting them and they won't repent and, and you bring others back and they won't repent and you, you tell it to the church. And if they still won't repent when the church confronts them, then you put them out of the church. They're no longer part of the, the church body. That's confronting and resisting evil. And by way of example, the New Testament reveals that Jesus and his apostles constantly... Resisted evil. When Jesus drove out the money changers in the temple, not once but twice, we're told, he was resisting evil. They were crooks. They needed to be resisted. And in publicly rebuking Peter, the Apostle Paul was resisting the evil of, of Peter's compromise and hypocrisy. It's found in Galatians 2. Paul says, I, I withstood him to the face, meaning I publicly rebuked him for his compromise. That's resisting evil. And later, Paul commanded Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.20 to publicly resist elders who continue in their sin. So we know from these passages of Scripture and many others that resisting evil must take place if we are ever to deal with sin in the way that God intends for it to be dealt with. You have to resist that. We also know from other passages of Scripture that when Jesus said, don't resist evil... He wasn't referring to government authorities. He couldn't possibly be referring to that because the Bible makes it very clear, abundantly clear, that God has established civil government for the very purpose of resisting evil people by punishing those who commit crimes. In fact, that's the primary purpose of the government. Even if governments get corrupted at times, that's their divine purpose. And you can see this in Romans chapter 13. In Romans 13, verses 1 through 4, Paul said every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And I remind you that the governing authority of his day was the the wicked emperor Nero. He said, "...for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves." Now watch this. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authorities? Then do what's right, and you'll have praise from the same. He's talking. He's saying that government resists evil. For it is a minister, meaning the government is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. He's talking about the ability to punish, and specifically capital punishment here. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. God has established the government, Paul says. He has ordained government to protect citizens by punishing evildoers, so that citizens don't need to be threatened by those who might threaten them. First Peter chapter 2 says the same thing. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to, to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishments of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Did you see that? The government is there for the punishments of evildoers. doers; there to resist evil. Evil has to be restrained by civil authorities. Otherwise, all you're left with is chaos. Can't have that. It also means that if if someone breaks the law, and you're aware of it, you're aware that they've broken the law, you have a responsibility to report that crime to the right authorities. That's our civic responsibility, and in that way, we do resist evil. So if the Bible tells us that we have the responsibility to resist evil within the church, God's people do, and that the government has the responsibility to resist evil in society, Then what did Jesus mean when he said, do not resist an evil person? We know what he didn't mean, but what does he mean? He meant that we are not to resist an evil person who commits some specific sin against us personally by retaliating against them. That's what he meant. He's not talking about something in society. He's not talking about something aloof from you. He's talking about when someone hurts you, when someone does evil against you, you and I are not To to retaliate, we are not to resist that person by retaliating. We are not to do as the Pharisees did. When someone sinned against them, they struck back with vengeance. Jesus is telling us we're to be different than the world that we live in. We're to be different than non Christians. We're to be different than the Pharisees. We're not to be bitter. We're not to be angry. We're not to be determined to get even in some way to get back. For what they've done to us. See, what the Lord is, is doing here is telling us that our reaction to those who wrong us is never to be like the world's reaction. I told you when we started the Sermon on the Mount that the, the theme of this entire sermon is that citizens of Christ's kingdom are to be different than everybody else. And this is very, a, a very sharp contrast right here. How does a non-Christian react when he's wrong? Well, typically, he responds in anger, responds in hostility, with a vindictive, unforgiving spirit, with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth mentality. You hurt me, I'm not putting up with this. I'm gonna hurt you, you'll pay for this. But citizens of Christ's kingdom are to be different. He's telling us that's not how we're to respond when someone does evil to us. Instead of holding a grudge, having resentment, looking for revenge, we are to respond in a loving gracious, selfless way. We're to respond in in a way that goes against the grain of our culture and even against the grain of how we might feel, but we're to do what's right. see, that's why this teaching of Christ is so radical and so different. It's not for another world. It's for our world. It's for how to, to live godly in a fallen world. In other words, as citizens of His kingdom, we don't stand upon our personal rights, and we don't lash out in vengeance like Pharisees do. Instead, we're called to respond to evil, evil that's directed against us personally, in the same way that our King responded. We're citizens of, of His kingdom. We're followers of Him as King. How did Jesus respond? Well, First Peter chapter two tells us. First Peter chapter two beginning at verse 18. Listen to this. You want to know if you're a citizen of of his kingdom, how you're to respond? Verse 21, rather. First Peter 2.21 says this. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. Jesus not only went to the cross, but he has left us an example of how to handle suffering. It says, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, meaning that he didn't suffer because he did anything wrong. And while being reviled, notice this, he did not revile in return. That is to say, while he was cursed at, he didn't curse back. He didn't yell back insults. He did not revile in return. While suffering, he he uttered no threats. He didn't say, do you know who I am? Do you know what I'm going to do to you? Get me down from me. He didn't do that. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Meaning that the way Christ responded to injustice was that he trusted the Father to work out everything. The Father would, would defend him eventually. He took the injustice and trusted God to deal with the details instead of defending himself. And God's character is such that how does he deal with evil men? He's kind and he's merciful. He does good to those who are evil and those who don't deserve his kindness. Let, keep your place in Matthew 5, and let's look at Luke chapter 6. Because Luke chapter 6 is the parallel passage. It is the Sermon on the Mount in Luke's version. It's a little bit different than our, our, uh, our study in Matthew. Whether this was the same exact time that Jesus gave this and, and Luke is just telling this, or maybe Jesus gave these words at a different time. Teachers do that. They repeat themselves. And so the Lord may have been giving this at another time. But in either case, you can, you can see some of the same, the same issues. Jesus said in verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the most high for he himself, notice this, is kind to ungrateful and evil men. God is kind to ungrateful people. God is kind to the unsaved, and, and all of us at one point were, were non-Christians who, who disregarded the Lord, who ate our food as if it was coming to us because we worked hard, ungrateful for God's provisions. We just gobbled it up, inhaled it, and um, never thought anything about him. We were, we were ungrateful and evil men, and, and Jesus said, be merciful just as your father is merciful. God is merciful and he treats wicked people in a very, very kind manner. We're to be like that. We're to be kind to ungrateful and evil men. And that, and that means that instead of retaliating against people who wrong us, we're to overcome their evil by doing good to those who do evil to us. And folks, this is exactly the truth that Paul taught in Romans chapter 12, which I read just before we prayed together, where Paul said, and by the way, there's an excellent booklet out by J. Adams on an exposition of Romans chapter 12. I'd encourage you to get, I think it's called Overcoming Evil, or maybe called Overcoming Evil with Good. It is outstanding. But notice this, notice what Paul said in Romans 12, 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Then he said in verse 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. That means get out of God's way. It's his job to to deal in, in punishing people for doing evil. It's not your job. It's not my job. It says, leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know what? If somebody wrongs you, it is not enough. It is not right for you to just back off and say, well, I'll have nothing to do with that person. I'll just avoid them. I don't want to have any more conflicts with them. I'm just going to stay out of their way. The Bible teaches that you're not to respond by just avoiding them. You're to respond and I'm to respond by doing something good for them, going out of our way to do something beneficial for them. And and we're going to see this as we continue in Matthew 5, because what Jesus has done is at this point is just give us, he's given us the broad general principle that we are not to retaliate against those who wrong us, but rather we're to do good to them. But now he moves on to give us four specific illustrations of how this works in the real world. He clarifies how this principle works by giving us four examples of what it means to not resist an evil person. And though what he spells out here may never actually happen to you in the exact format of what Jesus presented. In principle, it is very likely that all of us in this room will at one time or another face these evil situations in principle. The first example of non-retaliation has to do with how how we respond to the evil of being insulted. Notice verse 39. But I say to you, Do not resist an evil person. And now he goes on to say, here's what I mean. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, how does a Pharisee respond to being slapped on the cheek? I I can tell you right now, without a moment's hesitation, he slaps right back. That's how he responds. But Jesus tells us that we are to turn the other cheek. Now, what is he talking about? Some people think that the Lord is talking about being physically attacked if someone attacks you and you say, here, take another swing at me. That's not what he's saying. He's not talking about physical violence. He's not talking even about being punched in the mouth. He's not talking about when thugs pounce on you. He's not talking about that at all. He's not saying just stand there and take it like a punching bag. That's nonsense. Bible doesn't teach that. Defend yourself But what Jesus is describing is the act of insulting someone by slapping them in the face with the back of your hand. Now, we know that this is exactly what he's referring to because notice what he said. Jesus specifically spoke about someone slapping you on your right cheek. He didn't say left cheek. He said right cheek. Most people are right-handed in society. The statistic is about 90% of individuals in society are right-handed. Now that means, and visualize this: if a right-handed person takes a swing at your face, he's hitting you on the left cheek, not the right cheek. Just visualize it; it's true. Jack, come on up here. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. See, I didn't have you in the first service to do that, but uh, but you can visualize that: if someone takes a swing at you, they're hitting you on your left cheek. But a backhanded slap by a right-handed person would result in being slapped on the right cheek. That's what the Lord is referring to. And, and it's not simply an insult. Remember, what, this, what does this mean in the Jewish culture of that day? Kent Hughes explains what it means to be slapped in the context of the culture of our Lord's day. He writes this, according to rabbinic law, to hit someone with the back of the hand was twice as insulting as hitting him with the flat of the hand. The back of the hand meant calculated contempt, withering disdain. It meant that you were scorned as inconsequential, a nothing. Folks, what it was to slap somebody in the face with the back of the hand was the height of insults. It was so demeaning. It was the most demeaning kind of insult because it was an, it was an attack upon your honor. It basically said that you were irrelevant, you were you were even less than human. It stripped you of all dignity. It stripped you of all respect. That that's what Jesus is talking about, and I doubt if any of us are ever going to be put through such a degrading humiliation of being literally slapped in the face. But it is very likely that you and I will experience the indignity of being verbally assaulted in a degrading manner, especially for our faith in Christ. And when that happens, Jesus said that we are to turn the other cheek, which is simply a symbolic way of saying that we're not to retaliate by striking back with insults. You put me down, I'm going to put you down. You insulted me, I'm going to insult you. Rather, we are to respond with a humble, gracious spirit and just leave our defense to God. They attack us leave it with God. That's what Jesus did. He'll protect you. You don't need to to defend yourself. Instead of firing back with cutting remarks and jabbing verbally with somebody, just bear the insults and let God defend you. That's how this is applied. That's what Jesus is talking about. Don't retaliate.
1: Pastor Steve Kreloff will have more about how not to retaliate on our next verse-by-verse. I'm glad you could join us as we study our way through the Sermon on the Mount, one verse at a time. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. To find out more about Lakeside, go online to lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. To listen again to today's lesson or catch up on previous broadcasts, just browse on over to versebyverseradio.org and click on the message archive link. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. We just heard one example of non retaliation. It has to do with how we respond to insults. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will continue this message by giving us three more examples of how we can leave the job of retaliation to God. We are here to give you strength between.